And welcome to another edition of Sanctified Reason. Sanctified Reason is a podcast where we take a look at the things of this world through a biblical perspective. And, and topics could range. It could range from things that are in politics. It could range things that have to do with social issues. It could be a part of the church and church issues. And there's a lot of things we like to cover. And oftentimes, we're inundated with a worldview. Maybe we watch the news and we hear a conservative perspective from the news or a liberal perspective of the news. Or maybe we hear things from our neighbors talking over the fence. And, and then we look on social media and there's all kinds of opinions and things like that. That. And, and oftentimes you might notice that opinions change depending on the environment and the situation that we're in. And, and the one constant as a Christian, as a believer, that we can always go to is the Bible for concrete foundational beliefs. And so we might not always like the answers, and we might want to change the Bible to fit our needs and our answers. But when we look at it through a biblical perspective, we can always have something to lean on that's foundational, that's unchanging, and that is going to give us truth as opposed to, as opposed to the worldview. And so, you know, Dan Delzell is uh, with me. He is uh, a pastor at a church in Papillion, Nebraska. He has also written a lot of articles. Uh, a lot of articles have appeared on the thechristianpost.com and other places. And, and Dan, one of the things that uh, I thought was kind of interesting that has come up, you know, over the last maybe even six, seven, eight months is, you know, John MacArthur has been in the news quite a bit. And a lot of it had to do recently with the pandemic, you know, churches being shut down here in Los Angeles. And he was kind of biting that, kind of bucking that. And the city and health officials were going after him. And there was kind of a, a big fight between the church staying open for his uh, congregation and the city wanting to close him down, fine him, punish him for being open. So the, he made a lot of headlines. But then recently an article came up about um, the financing of John MacArthur, the church, his ministry. And so I thought, you know, got to think, you know, what if we just took a moment to have a conversation about, you know, the business of church versus the ministry of church? And how does that entwine with the congregations, the churches that we have today in America, our own selves? Because as we know, the church isn't necessarily the, 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 uh, the building, but it's the body of Christ, the people. And so I thought we could just start off with, uh, with, uh, a conversation just about, you know, the financing. Cause it seems like, you know, someone like John MacArthur, who has a ministry empire, he's got his grace to you. He's had education. Uh, he has his, you know, obviously a, a healthy church. And so his, his financing is pretty substantial as far as what he makes and what the church brings in. And so it draws scrutiny. And so with someone like him and, in, in, in what you're familiar with, first off, I guess the question would be, is it fair for somebody to draw criticism for financing when it comes to church and church ministry? Yeah, I think that's a good question, Son. And and I think, you know, the reality is that, you know, we live in a day when, you know, everything seems to get posted on, on social media. And, um, you know, a lot of the, the megachurch pastors um, do have uh, lots of stuff on the Internet about their homes, whether it be Stephen Furtick at Elevation Church, whether it be Joe Osteen, uh, right on down the list. I've never seen anything about... Um, you know, John MacArthur's until this recent one. But I think that is just kind of the reality in which we live. And ultimately, I think it does come down to, you know, each minister's heart between them and God. Um, and and just, you know, I mean, it, it's a personal thing that they're doing. But, but you know, all of us have to be aware that, um, you know, that ministers, you know, it does stand out. I mean, you know, on an extreme case, you got these ministers that, that own a private jet, you know, like Kenneth Copeland um, and, and others, you know, uh, in, in his group, uh, kind of the prosperity message preachers. Um, and they got others that are kind of borderline that. And then you have a lot of pastors, you know, I shouldn't say a lot, but you've got, you know, some famous pastors like, you know, Stephen Furtick and T.D. Jakes and folks like that. And, and I know MacArthur's message has always condemned the prosperity message. And so he's done a very good job of that. Um, you know, I don't know, you know, what, what, what quite to say with, with his homes and so forth. Um, I, I know that everybody tends to kind of want to make a judgment on that. And I think it's wise for ministers to maybe err on the side of something that 
I mean, you know, for example, I mean, you know, does a minister need a, you know, say a $60,000 car? Maybe he does or she does or whatever. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Um, do they, do they need a, a, a you know, $400,000 home? You know, um, I, I think it's, it, it's, it definitely raises some eyebrows though. I mean, when, when you got so many people who are living in much less than that, um, and, and you know, some communities are, are different than others. Like we live in a fairly uh, affluent community here in a suburb of Omaha. And I know, for example, like when, when we bought this home, our family of six, 19 years ago this spring, I think we paid just under like 170,000 for it. Um, and it's, you know, it's been a, it's been a real blessing to us. Now, you know, something like that's not really going to, uh, tend to raise any red flags, especially in a community like this, you know, where, where that home price is, is, is right in. And then there are, you know, plenty of homes, you know, more expensive than that. Uh, but whether it be the car, whether it be the house, whether it be your other personal uh, possessions that you have, um, we have to be careful, you know, as, as ministers that, that we own these things and they don't, and they don't own us. And, and when, when, when luxurious things, you know, when it seems like maybe a minister is living in luxury to the point where even say that it's way beyond many in the community. Um, now, you know, again, cause I said like with our home, you know, we purchased it for under 170,000, but look at how many countries of the world where, where this would be such a mansion. Now, you know, here in this community, it's not. Um, so we, we, we tend to judge things based on kind of where people live too, you know, um, and, and, you know, there might be many who say, well, we're living in luxury, you know, in this home of, you know, $170,000, you know, for a family of six. And, and they could, I'm sure, make a case for that, you know, um, just like there would be those who want to make a case for these homes that I guess, John, I didn't know he owned several homes and what their value was. Um, but, yeah, it, it does become it does become something that people, you know, they, they look at. And and um, I, I think it's always wiser, you know, for us to try to you know, be very, um, are just careful with, with, with those things and, and not, and, and not get into a point where we have to have, you know, like the nicest, you know, the nicest car, the nicest home, you know, the, the greatest number of possessions. I mean, that's not what the ministry is about, certainly. And as we see with the prosperity gospel, um, there are many who've given, it seems, their souls for, uh, for money. They've given their souls, it seems, for, um, you know, pursuing those things. and. And, you know, the Bible warns us about that, you know, that everyone who wants to get rich falls into temptation and a trap. So it's this love of money that's a root of all evil. Um, and if we're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on something where maybe we could have, you know, gotten by with something less, then it does. It raises some, some red flags. It draws some scrutiny. And, and, I, and I think that's very, you know, fair that it would. Now, one of the things for people that might be listening to be clear that Dan was talking about is there is a difference between the prosperity gospel where people are actually, in fact, I was watching last night, I was flipping through the channels, and for some reason I'm drawn to watching for entertainment purposes, not theological purposes, but entertainment purposes, watching these, you know, name it and claim it pastors that sit there and say, if you do something and you send us some money, then God will, you know, enact some blessing on you. And so, uh, so there are people that are out there and preaching a theology of you give me money therefore god will bless you um macarthur doesn't do that like you said he actually preaches against that and in fact he's actually if you looked at him theologically he's actually pretty dogmatic in a lot of things you know very um close to traditional that a lot of people today would disagree with some of the things that he has to say for example women preachers you know women preachers there's a lot of people out there and he's adamant against that and people would say well that's old school that's you know that's that's past that doesn't doesn't count anymore so his theology Theology isn't about that. His theology is very traditional and strict, even, I guess you could say. But when you take a look at the personal finances of somebody, okay, so for example, you have a salary. I'm sure the congregation wants to know what the salary is because the congregation usually is paying the salary with their tithes and offerings and so forth. Sure. Uh, sure. I'm sure the, 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 there's tax purposes and having, you know, a public listing of what the church's finances are. But then there's the, the private side of it, like you mentioned, you know, cars and houses and things. As a, as a, a person that's going to your church, is it fair? So let's, let's forget about Joe Public out there. Is it fair yeah. for people to know how you spend your money, the congregation? So if I'm giving 
and I go to MacArthur's church, your church, whatever, and I'm giving my money. Okay, I'm giving my money because God is leading me to give. Now, should I be concerned with where that's going to as far as how you spend your money on your personal side? You know, I mean, how, how invasive do we get in these things? I mean, you know, it talked about in the article that MacArthur had three homes worth millions of dollars. Um, okay, that's fine. But is that information that, you know, we should be privy to? I mean, when does, where does the privacy come in between a finance sure. of a church and a personal finances of the minister who reaps those benefits from being the pastor of that church? Yeah, those are those are good questions, Son, and they're they're difficult in a way to answer because you know different churches uh, seem to handle it differently. You know, the leadership of some churches definitely involves the congregation, even in the extent of like um, even like voting on the budget and the pastor's salary, and that's all kind of out there for um, everybody to uh, you know, be aware of and vote on. And then you've got, you know, other churches where like maybe the leadership or certain leaders in the church tend to set some of those numbers. Um, but, but, but I think where we see things go awry um, is, I mean, for example, some of these pastors, even that we've mentioned, not MacArthur, but some of these other ones, um, what, what blew me away years ago, Scott, is when I learned that some of these pastors, some of these mega church pastors, they have boards made up of, of like guys who are, like almost like other mega church pastors, but they're from different cities. And so they've got like a board and, and it's almost like, wait a minute, you know, how, how does that work? I mean, how do you not have, you know, like your, your board of elders, your leadership board there? How do you not have those as folks of your congregation? I mean, it's one thing if you're the Billy Graham association and you're ministering worldwide, and then you've got, you know, board members from various cities. But when you are a local congregation, and yet you have board members who, who don't even go to your church every Sunday. They're not actively involved. They don't even live in your city. Um, that, that does not sound like something that we see in the New Testament. And, and, um, and, and, I, and I think, to go to your question, though, again, as far as, like, how invasive or how much, you know, should people know, I think it really just kind of depends on maybe the church that you go to. Because churches do things so differently in terms of money. I know, like, for example, at Redeemer, you know, where I'm at, we've never passed an offering plate because we've wanted to err on the side of, of just letting people give cheerfully. Because, you know, some churches, they always harp on money. They harp on money. So we, we, we just decided from day one, we're just not even going to pass an offering plate. And the Lord's provided. And, and, you know, we're not the first church to come up with it. I mean, a lot of churches, they have done that, and, and the Lord has blessed them. And they just don't pass an offering plate. They don't make a big deal of it. Um, you know, so, so that's handled very differently in churches. Um, you know, pastor salaries can be handled very differently. You know, budget information, you know, who's privy to that? Who votes on that? Who decides that? So a lot of this ultimately comes back to like, you know, I, I would say the leadership structure, just the overall structure of your church and, and what decisions, you know, most, well, I shouldn't say most, you know, a lot of congregations still seem to have major decisions you know, have to be approved by the entire congregation. You know, there are probably a few, though, that are almost more cult-like where, you know, they've, they've got their people at the, at the top and, and they're, making, uh, they're making the decisions um, because in their corporate mentality, the top for them is, that, that, that's the top. Rather than in the New Testament, the top is, are, are the people who are washing one another's feet, you know, i.e. serving, working behind the scenes. You know, ideally, we should have our leadership structure flipped upside down from, from the world. Um, you know, the world is all about a power structure from the top down and, and the Lord came and he really reversed things. You know, we are all to be serving one another. So really the less we have to get uh, too involved with financial matters, the better. But I, I think that with someone like a John MacArthur, cause you know, that was uh, the article that we're referencing, but there are many other examples when you have a public figure like that. And, and when they are, making a lot of money either from, you know, like a radio ministry or books or whatever. Uh, and then they do buy, you know, mansions or more than one or whatever. Um, it's going to, it's going to draw scrutiny. Um, it's going to raise some red flags and, and it is going to give the impression to some that, you know, that there well this just seems to be about material things and money. When I thought, you know, here the Lord had, he didn't have a place to lay his head, you know, and all the Christians in the world who, uh, you know, live on, on such a small amount. So um, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of different angles to this. It's kind of difficult in every situation for us to, 
you know, be able to say, well, you know, now that person stepped over the line or not, you know, nor is that really maybe our job to do that. But, but at the same time, you can understand why some of these things get reported in the press, especially involving homes and cars and jets and, um, and, and so forth. But I do agree with you. I mean, MacArthur has been a very, you know, biblical, um, uh, you know, Bible-based, you know, preacher over the years and, and certainly has, um, you know, not, not advocated, you know, for um, some of the things that these other, some other churches today are, are promoting, getting away from Scripture. Um, so it was kind of a surprise when I saw that about the homes and so forth. And, and I don't know. I mean, I guess he, he'd, have to, he'd have to speak for himself on that and, and, and maybe, you know, address that. Uh, I don't really know the answer, I guess, ultimately to your question, Son, as far as, you know, how, how much is too invasive. You know, I guess everybody kind of is going to do what they're led to do in their own church or whatever. Um, but, but I do think there has to be accountability. Um, there has to be, there has to, you know, you have to have, um, your standards in place and your checks and balances in place. And, and, um, if you're not careful, you know, you can end up with a situation where, you know, you got all this money going to, you know, going to your, your main speaker because, you know, three of the four board members are in his family or something like this. It just, it really is, is not uh, a situation that, um, really, you know, just speaks of integrity. It, it seems to really just speak of materialism and greed and, and so forth. And so those are things that all of us, by nature, we have to be careful of because we're all prone to that, and, and we have to seek to avoid that, certainly as Christians. You know, one of the things, too, that um, the article does not mention is the giving of what he does with his, uh, his money. Sure. For, you know, for example, so, okay, you mentioned some of the other things. Okay, so... There could be, like you say, you get a, a salary from the church, and you know someone gets a salary for the church. But then, like you said, you know, in this day and age of media technology, you know, I worked at a radio station where we would air his shows, and you know, to, and and they would be on our actual radio station, and the ministry has to pay the radio station to be on the air. Okay, and so there's expenses right. involved, and so then of course they ask for donations to help cover expenses, and so people give, and so now more people give than what expenses are. So maybe the the ministry grows with you know capital money, like you said, books, right. you know, and we know in the publishing world if you get a bestseller, you know, you're going to be making some coin. Um, mm-hmm. And so again, when you look at it, sure, an overall person's finance might be something, but also I think it's important to take a look at where it's coming from. Uh, and how it's being, you know, accumulated, but then also, you know, how you spend it. Like, uh, one of the, the, one of the defenses against, you know, him and his money was, you know, look at his life. You know, he's lived in one home for 40 years. We're talking about John MacArthur. Mm. He has a car. You know, it's not that lavish lifestyle. When he, right, you know, when, right. he, when he flies, you know, he doesn't always fly first class was a response sometimes right. he made because he's 81. Um, you know, right. so, so when you look at that lifestyle, Okay, it's not as lavish as one might look as maybe someone else in some of those prosperity gospel things, you know, um, mm-hmm. and and the flying all over the place and having to have jets. I mean, MacArthur doesn't have his own jet. I'm sure he could afford one. I don't know, sure. uh, but he doesn't sure. have his own jet. Where other pastors out there are preaching about, you know, I need my my new sixty million dollar jet or whatever it is because I need to take you know food around the world and whatever nonsense that stuff is that they talk about. Um, but but again. I, the the point of it is this, okay, so you have pastors, you have people in ministry, and like you mentioned, Jesus didn't even have a, a place, you know, where he laid his head was home, and then he also, there were times where he was overwhelmed, and so he would break off and, and, and go away, he would disappear, you know, right. um, and so the idea of this church, the, the church that we are in today with the, the westernized church, where we go to church you know, in some places there's a church on every corner and we attend the church. And, you know, if you're a typical church goer, um, if you probably go and get up and go Sunday school and then you have your snack time in between and then when the call to worship comes on, you go into the service and, and it's a, it's, it's a presentation, so to speak. You know, you're sitting there and, and there's people on stage and the band's playing or maybe the choir singing and then you've got the pastor coming on. And so it's, it's, I'm a consumer of the Bible in this point. Do you think that the the church has gotten away from because there's the idea of we are doing the business of church or we're sharing the gospel if that makes sense. And yeah. so do you think that we've gotten to the point where we're too busy doing church and not busy enough spreading the gospel, reaching out and doing things like that? 
You know, I have oftentimes over the years, son, wondered if maybe we aren't doing exactly that. You know, you know, Rick Warren, you know, talked years ago and, and ever since then, I suppose, about being a program-driven church. You know, um, there are churches that seem just to exist just in order to keep their programs going. And you have to be careful, I think, of that because you can really burn people out. Um, you can really... Um, get away from just the simplicity of the gospel message and the power of the word when programs seem to be driving it rather than just, you know, the teaching and preaching of scripture. Um, you know, that, that was what really, you know, propelled the, uh, the church when it was born there in the book of Acts, the preaching and teaching. You know, when we, when we read the New Testament, you know, Paul uh, instructs the young pastor, Timothy, you know, preach the word. He doesn't say anything about, you know, maintain a bunch of programs. Now, you know, uh, there are many programs that, that are very beneficial and helpful and so forth. But um, it can also become a, a, such a burden if, if you're hiring people to fill a slot here, fill a slot there, just to keep a program going. Um, you know, uh, Christianity is, is something that we, we, we grow in, in our faith through the word through preaching and teaching, um, and and really then just through prayer and then responding to the word and obedience. And so the more simple we can keep things, I think many times, um, the better off we are. And uh, so that's, I do think, Son, I do think you're, you're addressing um, something that, that we have to always keep in mind. Uh, we have to ask ourselves, you know, what, what, what are we doing there? What is our goal? Um, you know, because is our goal just to get bigger and bigger and bigger? Or is our goal to, you know, um, have X number of programs or, you know, whatever. But I, I think, you know, if we can just keep our focus on on the Lord, serving him, having people use their gifts. I mean, programs are going to evolve out of that. And people are going to have a passion for this ministry, whether it be, you know, a youth ministry or, uh, you know, ministry to the homeless or uh, world missions. I mean, all the different types of things that churches do that are all very good to do. And, and, and people are using their gifts in, in many situations, uh, being involved in those things. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's a daily challenge just to kind of go back and look at what, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Uh, are we where the Lord wants us to be? You know, am I where the Lord wants me to be individually in the way I'm using my gifts? Then are we as a church where God wants us to be? And, um, and this kind of goes back to the original question about just, you know, how much is too much, you know, whether it be for a minister or for just a Christian who's not a minister. Um, you know, what about, you know, what about a Christian who, who owns a million dollar home? I mean, do they need that? Do they, I mean, you, you can get into that, you know, you can get into the whole thing about, um, I mean, because we're all priests, you know, in the New Testament, we're all part of the priesthood. So in that sense, um, you know, it does, ra- it does raise questions whenever any Christian, certainly minister, but then any Christian maybe seems to be living in such luxury that you wonder, well, you know, um, is that a good stewardship? And then, and then maybe we start asking questions that maybe we shouldn't be asking. Maybe we don't know, you know, how much they're spending on, on many other things to serve in the kingdom. And, and so maybe we assume, well, boy, they're just spending it all on themselves. But um, I think there, there's plenty for us just to keep focused on with our own personal decisions, our own personal use of, 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 of finances and our time and, and everything, and, um, and and so all of these things uh, need to be visited, but but primarily for ourselves, I think, you know, far more than we would try to, um, you know, look into what others are doing in these areas, um, just to keep, try to keep track that, 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 you know, the Bible says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life, and, and that these things are not starting to get my heart, that, that money and material things are, are not starting to own me, and how do I know if they're owning me? Well, I'm thinking about them a lot rather than thinking, you know, far more about the kingdom and, and what the Lord wants me to be doing. No, I'm, I'm worried about this thing, this possession that I have. You know, when Jesus, uh, you know, tells us, you know, where, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, I mean, think about that. Where your treasure is, that is where your possessions lie, where your bank accounts, you know, um, the more you own, the more you're going to have to think about. You know, the millionaire Ross Perot years ago put it this way. He said, I've never known a millionaire who's happy because he said something broke that morning. You know, either the generator's down or this or that broke. And, and so um, the more we own, 
by just by nature of the way things are, the more they're going to tend to own us because it's going to take time to think about them, to maintain them. And so the simpler life um, in terms of possessions, the simpler life in terms of finances, you know, the quicker we can release finances into ministry rather than into just, you know, the next, you know, thing for ourselves. Uh, you know, I think the better off we'll be, the more, you know, the more peace we'll have, the more joy we'll have, the more we'll be used in God's kingdom. Uh, but there's always that allure for, um, you know, material things for all of us, uh, be it a pastor, be it a Christian. And, and again, we're all, again, we're all part of the priesthood. So every single Christian really is a minister uh, from that standpoint. I mean, not, not a pastor, but a minister. And, and so we're all accountable to the Lord. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I've never, I've never known more joy personally, or have I seen it in the lives of other Christians than when they're investing um, their their financial blessings into ministry. Um, there's no greater joy than that because and, and because you're you're doing something that's that's uh, meeting an eternal need in the lives of others. And whereas if we're just spending 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 it ourselves, well, what's that? I mean, we're going to be in heaven forever. Do we have to have you know uh, all the luxury that we have here right now? Um, those are personal questions that all of us get to ask of ourselves and make decisions on. You know and and um, I, I think we're going to tend to invest money in those things we love the most. And if we love ourselves the most, then we'll invest most of our money in ourselves. You know, if, if we love the Lord and, and his work, then that will show in the way that we, um, because we're going to want to. And not, not because somebody told us, oh, well, you got to do this, or, or, you know, even you have to tie, you have to do this, that. No, you're going to want to do it because people tend to invest in things they love people they love and things they love and, 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 um, and movements that they love. And, and so that's, that's the beauty of giving in God's kingdom. And, uh, I mean, how could a material possession ever compare to that? You know? Well, see, that was the, the, you kind of brought us into the broader picture of the conversation was, you know, a lot of people are quick and, and rightfully so, because as a pastor, you are called to be scrutinized a little bit more, you know, because obviously you're teaching, you know, Christians, the Bible, and so the Bible talks about those that are called to be pastors and teachers, more is expected of them. But right. we can sit and we can look at a John MacArthur or anybody else and we can judge. But ultimately, it comes back to, like you mentioned, what are we doing with ourselves? Because if we're criticizing yeah. a John MacArthur because he's got million-dollar homes, and we're sitting with a million-dollar homes and a fat cat bank account, and we're spending it on luxury items. As a sure. Christian, are we just as guilty because we because we did not get our money from a church-based or ministry-based, mm-hmm. you know, financing? Are we still just as guilty because God has given us a blessing of finance, and we're not giving other people, we're not helping? I mean, that's a question everybody has to answer for themselves. Um, mm-hmm. You know, or here's another thing which I, I found interesting that's stuck with me all these years uh, many years ago I was in a church and um a lady was up there sharing you know because it was share time and she yeah. said that she had made a prayer that if god gave her her dream home whatever that was then she would use it yeah. to invite people over and have you know whatever and right. i thought and i thought to myself was well are you doing that with your not dream home right now because yeah. just because you get your dream home doesn't mean that you're going to now change your behavior and it's right. not a criticism. It was just a thought. It's like if you have uh, a dumpy car, okay, and you're not giving people rides, just because you get a Lexus or whatever doesn't mean now you're going to give people rides if they ask for it. It's like what your behavior is now right. isn't going to change just because your situation improved. You know, if, you, if you're not helping people, if you're not in the church, if you're not tithing, if you're not helping your neighbor, if you're not doing anything, whatever it is you're not doing now – just because your situation gets better doesn't necessarily mean that you automatically change your behavior. If you're giving now, right. you know, like the like the the story where the lady gave the, the two mites or the you know pennies, you know, um, if you're not giving that now and that's everything you have, then if you get extra riches, you know, financing, right. pay, whatever, it doesn't mean that you're automatically going to give. And so it's like you said, it's like where's our heart, and we got to examine ourselves. And again. It's not a criticism. It's just each person has to answer that for themselves. But just because you gain something doesn't mean that your behavior is automatically going to change and be more Christ-like because you got in a better situation. No, that, that's right. And and throughout the Bible, you know, uh, God's people are taught, you know, first fruits giving and tithing, you know, in the Old Testament. Um, now, when we come into the New Testament, 
um, you know, we're in a different era now. Um, I mean, tithing under the law was required. You know, many Christians ask, well, are, are we still, you know, expected to tithe? And, and I think the Bible kind of reverses that, that question, you know, on a believer today and, and kind of says, well, now, wait a minute. Okay, so what, what had God's people received in the Old Testament? Well, they'd received, you know, God's promises and God's mercy and God's faithfulness and God's covenant and, and, and God's blessings. But they had not yet received what we've received now. They had not yet received his only son. So um, it really is, is almost audacious of a Christian to ask the question today, am I expected to tithe? I would think it would almost be an insult to God to say, am I expected to tithe? Because if that's even a thought, if it's even a thought like, what am I expected to do now? Then am I really on the right wavelength? Am I thinking the right way? I mean... You know, the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. So it doesn't sound very cheerful if all I'm doing is looking at, well, what I, what I feel like, you know, I have to do. Um, I mean, I've heard some people say that they like the tithe is like, you know, um, it, it's kind of, it, it's not the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the ceiling is, or I'm not, it's, it's not the floor, it's the ceiling. Uh, if I'm saying that right. Um, uh, and, 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 and so, uh, and I'm sorry, it's not the ceiling, it's the floor, I guess. It's the beginning point. Yeah, it, it's not the ceiling, it's the floor. Um, in, in other words, um, you know, you, you'd be hard-pressed to ever think in the New Testament that, that, that somehow giving back God only, you know, or less than 10% of what's already his anyway, 100% of it's his. You know, that, that really, when you look at it biblically, is such a really kind of a meager gift. I would think it would almost be insulting to God, um, you know, to have the question asked, well, am I still expected to tithe? Well, expected, you know, what's your heart want to do? I mean, you know, I, I think then it goes back to, you know, um, maybe I need to just um, really get much closer to God where I'm, I'm, I'm no longer living under the law. Now the things that I do, I, I, I'm prompted by love. And so I, I, don't, I don't think about, oh, what's the bare minimum? You know, I think about how can I, um, how can I pour out my love to God with, with all of my life, my time, my gifts, my, my resources, you know. And, and, and if I'm thinking about what's the bare minimum, um, then I, I just don't really see that, that spirit anywhere in the New Testament. Um, you know, what, what is given in the New Testament is sacrificial giving. Um, and it all, it all points to the sacrificial gift of God, the father sending his only son for us. So, so any financial gift we make is so minuscule, uh, when compared to what God gave for us, you know, um, now Rick Warren, you know, uh, obviously he made a lot of money on the purpose driven life book. Um, but I don't know that I've really heard of a pastor. Um, you know, other than Rick Warren, who, um, you know, kind of let it be known that, that he and his wife are reverse tithers. Uh, in other words, you know, they were able, because God had so blessed them financially, to give away 90%, apparently, and live on 10%. Well, I mean, to me, that's a, uh, that's a, that's a beautiful goal. That's a beautiful model that we see. Um, in fact, I think uh, because of what they made on the book sales, uh, I, you know, I've read that, you know, he returned his salary, uh, for like the 20 some years he'd been at the church and hasn't taken a salary ever from the church. You know, again, I mean, he's taken in millions, but how different is that from the person who's saying maybe the rich mega pastor or whoever, well, you need to tithe and I tithe and yada, yada, yada. I mean, I haven't heard Rick Warren bragging about that at all. I mean, he did let it, you know, he let it be known at some point. If anybody, I suppose, could brag about their giving, not that we should ever do that. I suppose it would be a reverse tither, but I've never heard him brag about it. Uh, I mean, they lost their son um, uh, in, a, in a situation, actually, to, to suicide, uh, mental, uh, some mental illness that he had struggled with. Um, so, I mean, they know the loss of a son, uh, Rick and Kay Warren. Um, but how many pastors do any of us know? How many Christians do any of us know, you know, uh, who are part of the priesthood, the royal priesthood, who are reverse tithers? Um, so I really, I think that's a beautiful a beautiful example to set um, for the church today, um, be, because if we're still down at that basic level of worrying about, well, what's God expect me to give? It's like, time out, time out. Um, you know, you probably need to get that heart warmed up a bit more by the gospel, you know, be, be, because when it is, 
when it is, uh, they won't be able to stop you from um, giving of your time and your talents and your resources because you'll want to do it. And then the amazing thing is you cannot outgive God. And even in the New Testament, you'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Well, that's what Rick and Kay Warren have proven. You know, they, they've been made rich in every way so they can be generous on every occasion. Um, so reverse tithing, that to me, son, sounds like a beautiful New Testament principle. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that probably any of us, anybody listening, I mean, how, how many people really are, are going to be, be, you know, living on 10% and giving 90%? I mean, I'm just saying, though, it is being done by, by a very wealthy, famous couple there who um, I, I think deserve uh, a lot of um, thanks and, and appreciation for, for the way they're role modeling for all of us. Um, I think giving and doing it, not, I, I've never found them in any way to be like showboating or anything like that. I mean, I think, you know, Rick Warren and Kay Warren are beautiful Christian people. Um, and, uh, and I have no idea what kind of, maybe they live in a very, you know, expensive home. I have no idea, but really, um, I, I think their hearts seem to be in such a beautiful place that you, you, they, they just can't. I mean, there's nothing in life that would give them more joy than to give away 90% of what God's given them. I mean, what, what kind of a testimony, incredible testimony is that? You know, I think it goes back to, Dan, things that we've been talking about in the past, too, about a relationship. You know, if you're in a relationship with somebody, you know, we just went through Valentine's Day, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there and varying degrees of their relationship with someone else. And if you're a newbie, maybe you, you know, you lavish your, your new loved one with all kinds of flowers and stuff. And if you more of a veteran in the relationship, you've been together a lot longer. Maybe it's, it's a different style of love that you're showing. You know, maybe it's a trip somewhere or maybe it's dinner at a favorite restaurant, you know, but, but there's different levels of a relationship. And so, right. you know, you're not sitting there and following some, you know, some book, so to speak. You know, um, and and that's what that's what I think comes down to. It comes down to the relationship with God because if you're if you're doing the have to things, yeah, then you're really not in a relationship. And are you really? You should question whether or not what your relationship, what your heart is like with that person. I have to go to dinner with my spouse. I have to go to this with my girlfriend. I have to do this. I have to get flowers yeah. for Valentine's Day. I have to. I have to. Well, yeah. if you're doing the have to thing, you probably aren't in love with that person, and you should probably reconsider that. If you are having to go to church, if you're having to tithe, if you're having to, you know, go to midweek Bible study, if you're having to have devotions, then maybe you're not in a relationship with God and you need to rethink that. Because like you mentioned, if we are in a relationship and we have that, that heart to heart relationship with God, we're going to want to do things and we're going to want to be able to help our neighbor. We're going to be, we're going to want to do the things that God calls us to do and not have the have to aspects of it. Yes. And, and that's yes. the thing we need to kind of, you know, check ourselves with. Are we having to, or do we want yes. to, because that relationship is there? Yes, son. Great point. And a little caveat I would add to that is this too. And I think it would help to use a little illustration here. Um, there are things in terms of like spiritual disciplines that, that Christians uh, maintain um, that in a sense, you could say we have to do it, but let me, let me, let me explain what I mean by that. We have to do it if we're going to stay, um, in the right kind of spiritual shape that, that God can use us. For example, you know, the athlete, the professional athlete, um, who does not train his body, you know, virtually every day of the year, you know, his or her body every day of the year. Um, I mean, sure, there may be a, a few breaks here and there, but, but you, you go into such intense training. I mean, we could say, you know, the same thing about those in the military. And, you know, the Bible, you know, compares our Christian walk both to, uh, at times, military examples or, or uh, sporting uh, type uh, training, you know, that, that physical training is of some value, but godliness holds uh, value for all things, both for this life and the life to come. And I guess my point is, there are some things that, quote, unquote, we have to do, but, but what I mean by that is if we don't do them, we will quickly get out of shape spiritually. You know, well, there's a I have to pray. Well, don't look at it that way. You get to pray. Now, if you don't pray, um, yes, your, your spiritual life is going to take a huge hit. Well, I have to read the Bible. I have to go to church. Well, if you don't do those things, it's going to be very hard to maintain uh, a healthy spiritual life. Well, I have to hang out with other Christians or talk to them or, or, you know, I have to be kind. I have to forgive. Blah, blah, blah. Um, well, yes, there, there will be things that if you don't do them, um, you won't, you will not be fit at all spiritually uh, in God's kingdom. So, so the, the, the have-tos are, are more, they're, they're, they're necessities 
um, their necessities of the Christian life. Um, you know, the Bible says, be holy. Oh, I have to be holy. Well, no, you get to be as God works in you. Um, because the good that comes through you, well, Jesus will get the credit. Any of the bad that comes through you as a believer, you get the blame for it. That's, that's the, so, you know, if you don't want that deal, then, then, um, that, that's the only, that's the only plan God offers. You can go in and you can buy a car, for example, and, and son, they'll, they'll say, we well, can have this plan, this plan, this plan. You know, when you, when you go to God to become a Christian, there's only one plan. And, and, and the plan is, um, I forgive you. I will live in you. I will produce holiness in you when you say no to the bad stuff. And, and, and when you don't say no to the bad stuff, you know, you, 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 you give into that, um, that word of gossip or that, uh, envy or that jealousy, uh, or that greed or whatever, uh, that anger, that, um, rage, whatever, bitterness, holding a grudge. When you don't do it, when you give into those things and don't say no, then you get the blame. But whenever the, the goodness of God comes through you, he gets all the credit because he, uh, uh he is the vine. We are the branches. Um, be, because he is the one living in us, but that's the Christian, that's just the Christian plan. There's only one plan. Um, and, and, and so when we say, well, you have to do this, um, you have to say no. Uh, now we don't always say no. What happens when we don't say no? Well, then we block the, fro- uh, the flow of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We disrupt our spiritual life. We, we bring uh, disruption into our heart. We displease God. We grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, we tend to offend others. I mean, all sorts of bad things happen when we don't say no to ungodliness and worldly passion. So, so when we're talking about the have to of like, you know, like giving and so forth, um, you know, really the, the ideal there is to be a cheerful giver. Um, you know, I, I guess a person could make a case, I suppose, son, um, that, well, you know, well, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to think, think about this for a second because, um, I, I'm not really sure that, that, um, you know, what I was about to say, son, is I, I suppose a person could make a case that if you're tithing but not doing it cheerfully, um, you know, but, but, I, but I, I don't think that that would be better than, let's say, giving, let's say, 5% of your income cheerfully. If you could only give 5% cheerfully, then I would say do it. Um, if you cannot tithe, let alone reverse tithe, cheerfully, um, I find nowhere in Scripture where that in any way pleases God, where that in any way really... Uh, so, so I guess you could make... Uh, people would probably make a case both ways on that. Some would probably try to make a case and say, well, hey, at least if they're tithing, they're kind of... They're still sticking to that Old Testament pattern. Um, you know, and so that one, I guess we, we won't go too far into the weeds on that. But, uh, you know, the, the ultimate goal, of course, and the principle of the Bible is that God loves a cheerful giver. So that's always to be the goal. Um, and, you know, most of us, 99.9% of us will probably never um, be as successful at it as Rick and Kay Warren. Um, but wow, uh, just the fact that in our lifetime, that we have a role model, I mean, with all the other scandals and things with pastors and this and that, you know, that we have a role model uh, doing that, not to elevate him, you know, higher, he's just a man, you know, he's fallible like all of us. But, but I think it's worth applauding in our day that somebody who's done all the things that they've done to help people, all the compassion that Rick and Kay Warren have had for people there at Saddleback Church um, and the way they've helped people around the world. I mean, he is not a perfect pastor. And there's some people who don't like Rick Warren for this and that, but I want to tell you, you know, um, he, he knows the Lord, he preaches the gospel, um, and, you know, uh, anybody who, who does all of those things with a compassionate heart and, and is a reverse tither, um, giving away 90%, I say, wow, uh, that to me sounds uh, a lot like what I read about in the New Testament. Well, I think we can also go back to examples in the Bible like Cain and Abel with their sacrifices. You know, God accepted Abel's, rejected Cain's. You know, what was the reasoning behind that? You think about yeah. um, the, the the prayer, you know, the, the guy that was praying in the in the temple, you know, Lord, thankful that I'm not like this sinner over here. And, you know, he's flamboyant right. about his prayers. And the other is just very quiet and, you know, to himself. And I think it basically, like you said, comes down to the heart, comes down to how our approaches come down to who we are. You know, our, our, you know it's our, so interesting, our son, you mentioned Cain and Abel, because here probably an hour ago I was talking to my mother on the phone, and she's in a Bible study, uh, and there are a number of Catholic gals in that Bible study. And... um uh, she said one of the gals asked her, actually maybe called her, texted her, asked her the question. You know, she was reading in the Bible about Cain and Abel and, and uh, why why did the Lord not accept, you know, Cain's sacrifice but, but did Abel's? And so we kind of talked about just what, what it says there in Scripture and then about the condition of the heart 
And, and, um, you know, uh, in there, you know, Abel, Abel gave him the, the first fruits of his flock and, and Cain just more seemed to be like this kind of, you know, kind of a secondary thought of, you know, it didn't really matter so much what he gave, you know, and so he was maybe going through the motions. And then the fact that, that he had the heart, he had the heart that was capable of, of killing his own brother. Um, when you combine that with the fact that the Lord was not pleased with, with what Cain gave, we, we, we definitely see a huge heart issue going on there. Just the point you're making, son. So it does go back to what you, what you said a couple of minutes ago, that relationship, it goes back to the heart and, and, and you know, um, our motives, you know, so many times, you know, um, I think our motives are every bit and even more important to the Lord than, than what flow from them. The motives are so crucial because as it says in the Old Testament, the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance of the Lord looks at the heart. So if we bring this full circle to like that article about John MacArthur and the Holmes or any of us, any Christian who's part of the priesthood, any pastor, any Christian with any of our spending, I mean, ultimately, it comes back to what is in our heart when we purchase a certain thing or invest money in, in a certain, you know, ministry or some certain, you know, material thing for ourselves or, you know, what what is our motive? Is it to glorify the Lord? Um, and, um, uh, you know, and, and certainly there are plenty of things that believers own for which they give God thanks. They they thank God for, for certain possessions and so forth. But it does come back to a personal thing between an individual and the Lord. And many times it is difficult to um, to say, you know, if a person has maybe crossed that line, nor should we be attempting to, um, to, to say that, because we don't know the whole story, um, you know, and... and uh, uh, but, 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 but what's interesting, and this is the huge difference between, like, say, like the MacArthur and like these prosperity preachers, MacArthur does not preach this, this just vulgar nonsense that the prosperity preachers, uh, preach about how, you know, God wants you to be rich and you, you, you give, you sow a seed to my ministry. I mean, he has been very clear in calling that out. So I, you know, I, I, I don't really have an answer for, you know, what, what they, you know, would have said in that article about maybe multiple homes or whatever. That's between him and the Lord. But I'm just thankful for his calling out of this vulgar uh, prosperity message that um, leads people um, to darkness. You know, I mean, you know, for example, Paul, Paul uh, wrote, wrote the same thing uh, to Timothy there in First Timothy, son, uh, when he said, um, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And I'll tell you, John MacArthur fully understands um, who Paul is talking about there. But, but, but men like Kenneth Copeland um, and Gloria Copeland, his wife, you know, both, you know, they both serve as pastors, you know, uh, quote unquote pastors of, of, of their church there. Um, and, and yet they, they, they preach, they preach the wealth doctrine, uh, the very doctrine the Bible condemns, they preach it. And, and people like Mike Murdoch and, and others who follow them, uh, Jesse Duplantis, I mean, you know, it's like every other word out of their mouth is money, money, money. And, and then, you know, so it, it really is very disgusting. Um, it's very, uh, offensive. Um, and I'm just thankful for men like John MacArthur who preach the truth on this uh, topic and, and, and for, um, uh, men and women like uh, Rick and Kay Warren who walk the walk, you know, and, and they're not out there preaching a lot about money. Uh, they're just showing you how to do it and, and how God will bless you in the midst of it to be a blessing as they've been to people around the world. So, you know, we can, we can say all we want from our pulpits, but uh, if we're not walking the walk, if we're not investing in God's kingdom, then it won't really go very far and um, it, won't, it, won't, it won't really help many people. So I can relate to the expenses of, you know, the church, the ministries, things like that, because, you know, even just us doing this simple podcast, you know, there's an investment in equipment, there's an investment in resources sure. that you need to put out there. And so, you know, when you have a, a ministry and you have expense, you know, it is there. But like you said, I think it goes back to the heart because, you know, much like the people you mentioned with Mike Murdoch and others, you, you sit there and you listen to them and their message is all about money. You know, give me and then God will. Plant the seed and this will happen. And in fact, you know, I heard one uh, one person on the on the on TV one time say if you give us your home, God will give you 10 homes, you know. I mean, it's it gets oh it gets, it gets ridiculous, yeah. you know. Yeah. 
But yeah, yeah. then you listen to somebody else, and even the, and there's many people. I mean, you, you can replace John MacArthur here in Los Angeles. Like I said, you can mention you can replace him probably with any number of pastors that have big churches out here that you listen to oh, their yeah. their message, and it's yeah. a spot on message. Okay, yeah. so again, I yeah. think you have to go back to the heart. And if we turn it around, look in the mirror, it's the same way with us. God has given us things, whether it be talents, whether it be resources, whether it be you know influence, whatever it is, he has given us the talents and yeah. gifts. What we do with them then dictates who we are through Christ because we can either do it grudgingly or we can do it with a grateful heart, compassion. Right. And so we have to check ourselves, and that becomes a question then between us and God as to how we're doing it. So if we're doing something grudgingly, maybe we need to check our heart. If we've got the bare minimum and we're giving away 90%, maybe, maybe we're doing something good, you know, and that's something that we need to, um, you know, that's between, you know, yourself and God. But I always thought it was interesting because money is the number one thing that keep people from the church. You know, I have to give. You know, that's the thing. Why don't right. I go to church? Why am I involved in church? And then you see people, you know, that, that read articles like the one on MacArthur that makes a lot of money. And they're like, see, that's why I don't want to go because it's all about money grubbing people. And all they want is money, money, money. And it's the big turnoff for a lot of people. And I don't think it's... uh a topic that, like you said, has a black and white answer. I think there's many layers to the answers to the question, but I think ultimately, if you look at the heart of the person, no matter who it is and what they're doing, I think that will give you an indication of what the person is like, especially using the name of God in a ministry or church or something. And then you'll know them because like the Bible says, you'll know they are Christians by their love. You know who they are by their fruits. And so, you know, if God happens to bless them a certain way, different then that's you know god's plan you know that's god's decision that's god putting him in that position but then we also have to remember that to whom much is given much is expected and so you know if and and god only gives us what we can and so instead of maybe worrying about other people sure we should be concerned and we should um question just like if a pastor you know if i was sitting in your church and you were preaching, right. I would fact check, so to speak, things that you would Absolutely. say. And so we yeah. need to take that and fact check, you know, the ministry of, of people. But I don't think we should get caught up in a lot of, you know, like you said, getting down in the weeds because right. we need to just make sure that our heart is right with God, that we are doing things in in the manner that we should be and the way God yeah. calls us to and have that relationship, that love relationship with God yeah. and do the things because we want to. Right. And because we want to grow right. and we want to do all that, because we want to have that championship relationship with God, so we're going to put in the work and avoid, yeah. you know, getting down there in the weeds yeah. and 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 That's worrying right. about That's someone right. doing this or someone doing that. Exactly, you know, exactly. As long yeah. as they're, you know, doing it from the right way. You know, like you said, I'm a car right. versus a, right, a, a prosperity preacher because those people I would dismiss as yeah. you know heretics. But maybe someone yeah. like MacArthur, yeah. maybe God just rewarded him and blessed him for his ministry because right. because right. not too right. many people right. can do what he can do. Right. You know, with with the uh, with the, the ministries right. that he's putting out there and the message that well, is well, being that's out right. there. And 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 you know, it gets awfully dicey, doesn't it, Son? If like you know, if we get into the business of like, well, you know, you can be a faithful Christian and own a car up to this value or a home up to this value. You know, these these are difficult things we have to be careful of that we don't. Um, you know, we, we can easily fall into that. And I like what you said there about we, we, what we, what we are to judge is, 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 is the man's message. Um, we, we, we can't look into his heart, but we are to judge his message. And, and when his message is what the prosperity uh, preachers are presenting, we can judge that, um, based on scripture as being wrong, as being dangerous, as being deadly to the soul. You know, I, I love what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Uh, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will, will reward you. And so ideally we're to be cheerful givers and we're to do it secretly. Um, now I don't think it was uh, inappropriate in any way for Rick Warren at some point along the way, I might've been in his book uh, to, you know, divulge that they're reverse tithers. I think in that case, that's setting a good example. Um, I, I don't think he in any way was tooting his own horn. I don't think he was going against, you know, what Jesus says about doing it in secret. No, if he were to every time he preaches, he'd have a lot more verse tither and constantly toot that horn. Then I think, um, you know, then that would be uh, definitely a cause for concern. But but uh, w- w- there's something being that exceptional in terms of the way it's being handled for them to, you know, share that, I think is actually a very positive thing and in no way goes against this uh 
command to um, uh, to not let your your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And the other thing I just was going to say, you, you know, you mentioned about you know, like um, if you were listening to me preach or any, in any church, yes, we have to um, not just take it at face value, but be like the Bereans in, in uh, Acts 17, who were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Now, if, if, if the Holy Spirit in Holy Scripture here commends the Bereans who were holding Paul's feet to the fire, you know, the greatest apostle, you know, that we've, we've been given, um, you know, I mean, just such a, an exemplary uh, individual for our faith, um, you know, if, if they were to hold his feet to the fire, who are any of us who might be preaching today to think, well, no, you, you can't question me, you can't challenge what I say, oh, by all means. If it goes one iota away from scripture, it has to be, you know, called out and corrected. You know, you know, it has to be addressed. You have to, you know, then go to that person, point out to them, show that that that, that minister or that Bible teacher, whoever they are. Hey, you know, I think you're getting away from the word here. Um, and what you'll find with these prosperity cults, and I'm going to call them a cult because I think they are, and then the other cults, um, the leaders in those groups are not accountable. Um, they don't want to be accountable. Uh, they, they don't want to have their feet held to the fire. You know, they, they like that Old Testament verse that says, do not touch the Lord's anointed. And they cling to that verse, and they feel like, you can't touch me, I'm untouchable. What I say is untouchable. And, and then they make a mess of doctrine, they make a mess of people's lives when they're not, when they don't allow themselves to be accountable. They surround themselves with a board of just, you know, yes men who are just going to agree with everything they want. They're probably on the payroll, you know. Um, and, and so that is in no way a New Testament ministry. Um, a New Testament ministry has to be accountable, uh, first and foremost, scripturally, doctrinally, but then also, you know, ethically. Um, it has to be accountable financially. There has to be all these levels of accountability because, um, you know, we're all susceptible to, um, to going our own way and going astray. So we, we, need, we need accountability from one another, and that's a very good thing. And, and so the Lord is, the Lord is gracious and, uh, but yeah, what a, what a great topic today, son, to be able to, to dive into. And, uh, you know, I really commend you for having the courage to, to go into this area where, you know, there aren't necessarily easy answers all the time. And it's not always as black and white as we'd like it to be. But as I think we have found today, there is plenty of black and white in scripture on these issues that we can, um, that we can hang on to and, and we can go forward with. And, and, and while maybe none of us listening to this today, or you and I, while none of us may ever come close to being reverse tithers like Rick and Kay Warren, um, we, what we can at a minimum, I would say aim for is cheerful giving. And if we're doing that son, I think the rest will fall in line. Uh, people will be blessed. And, um, you know, if anybody ever comes up and says, what well, does God expect us to tithe today? Uh, may, maybe just kind of try to try, try to steer them in, in, in the direction of look, look at what God, you know, gave us. How dare we even talk about, you know, expectations with, with something as, um, as unimportant in a way as money. I mean, you know, unimportant to God, uh, it, unless it, it starts to capture our heart. And then, it, you know, our God is a jealous God. Um, if we're going to, if we're going to love money rather than him, you know, Jesus called that out. He said, you cannot love both God and money. Either you will hate the one and, and love the other or be devoted to the one, uh, and, and despise the other. And uh, you cannot serve both God and money. So, so Jesus called it out and, uh, we need to call it out in our own hearts. Uh, we probably need to be careful calling it out in somebody else's life. We might see them, maybe maybe their car looks a little nicer, their home looks a little bit nicer. We probably should err on the side of, of, of you know, just giving them the benefit of the doubt. But when they're a public speaker, especially a prosperity preacher, uh, which, again, John MacArthur is not a long way. He's no in no way that. Uh, but, but when they're a prosperity preacher, um, I don't have any issue with these ministries to call them out, first and foremost, for their false doctrine, and then just the fruit of it, it demonstrates that they do love money, they do love material things because they preach about these things as though somehow it's a blessing from God that they have these mansions, these jets, you know, these, these uh, expensive, expensive cars. How in the world do you, you say that's a blessing from God? Why would God want you to have that? Why would he want you to promote that among his people? You know, why would he ever do that with all the warnings in the Bible against loving money? So um, it, it's really tragic that there are those who, who fall into that trap and they go to their grave, you know, uh, consumed uh, by that, that love of money, it would seem. Dan Delzell, pastor at uh, Church in Papillion, Nebraska, Redeemer Church, and, and uh, 
they can find you on Facebook, your Redeemer Church on Facebook, and also maybe an email address or something if someone wants to reach out and find out more? Sure. So I'm just Dan Delzell, D-A-N-D-E-L-Z-E-L-L at Cox.net. And, um, and then our, our Facebook page is uh, Redeemer in Papillion, P-A-P-I-L-L-I-O-N, Papillion, Nebraska. And, and they could find, uh, you know, different messages on there, uh, as well as like you referenced, uh, just artic- a lot of articles I've written that are posted on the Christian Post uh, that they could pull up and, and look at any of those as well. You can find me on Instagram, Edom Rocks, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S, and you can message me there if you so choose. We'd like to thank you for listening. Dan, thanks so much. We appreciate it as always. We look forward to um, further conversations and insights uh, as we continue on with this. And for those of you listening, again, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. And until next time, God bless.